You're listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, it's great to have our children and our teens in the sanctuary with us this morning. Isn't it great? Come on. It's awesome to be able to worship together as a family. And I know the kids are like, oh, do I have to go to big church? And the parents are thinking, well, you know, maybe it would be great if they were in their area. But every once in a while, it's great for us to be able to bring the whole family together. And so with that, we're going to change a couple things up this morning. How many of you like change and how many of you like something different? About uh, maybe half. How many of you like just everything to stay the same? Well, I'm sorry. For the next 30 minutes, you're going to have to deal with different. Because this is what we're going to do. Pastor Trish is on the platform this morning. She's going to help me. Pastor Trish oversees our kindergarten through second grade. So she's kind of shepherding that age group. And so she's going to help me deliver the sermon. At some point this morning, I'm going to pass the baton to Pastor Trish. And she's going to come and, and talk with us about how do we discover direction in our lives. Have you ever been in a time, a place, a season like where you had a decision before you and you didn't know what to do. I would assume probably everyone in the room. And here, here's the reality, the way life works, you're probably going to have that experience again. Because life brings like lots of turns and twists and we come to situations and times like where we don't like really know what to do. It's like we need clarity, clarity of direction so we can know the next step to take. I know as a pastor, I get asked lots of questions, but the number one question that I get asked more than any other question is this, pastor, how do I know what God would have for me to do? Like, God, how, how can I know God's direction for this, fill in the blank, for this relationship? Like, should I marry this man or not? Should I marry this woman or not? How do I know? Um, should I take this job? Um, how, how do I have direction? How can I have clarity about a career path? How can I have clarity about a promotion? How can I have clarity about a geographical move? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, we want it, we want, we want to have clarity of direction. And the frustrating thing, if we're honest this morning, is the frustrating thing is sometimes we come to those times and seasons and we don't know what to do and we're not hearing from God and we get frustrated. Have you ever had that experience? I have. Like, God, if you would just speak a little louder. Like, you know, or maybe if I could listen a little better, like, God, what, what is your point of direction? So how can we find clarity of direction? That's what we want to talk about this morning. And we're reminded of a story, and maybe you've heard this story before, 1999, 1999, my wife and I were offered uh, an opportunity to leave Grace Covenant to go to the southwest region of the United States to become a district supervisor overseeing a six-state area. Kind of like Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, kind of that area. And um, the denomination, our our church family, the Foursquare family, uh, offered us this opportunity. At this point, I was about 29, 30 years old. And um, they thought it was like, quite an opportunity and quite a promotion that I would be able to take this opportunity. And not only that, it meant like we would be able to move back toward our family. It's all in Arkansas. And so they presented this opportunity and said, we really want you to take this leadership role. Well, the, we were in um, the process of actually building the first phase of this building. So our development on this property, again, 1999, 32,000 square, 32, square feet, about $4.5 million. 
And so I led the congregation down this road. Not only that, my wife and I were about, I'd say, 50% uh, complete, uh, 50% finished on a new home that we were building in Davidson. So the church, new church building was being built, new home being built, and the denomination comes and says, hey, we have this promotion for you, and we really think you should take it. So my wife and I were like, what do we do? We needed clarity of direction. And, and so much of what we're going to talk about this morning, we began to embrace that process. We were fasting and we were praying and we were seeking out godly counsel. But like we were getting like no clear answer. And now remember saying to God, God, I'm willing to do whatever you would have for us to do. If it's stay, I'm willing to stay. If it's go, I'm willing to go. But I have to know from you what you want me to do. I mean, like this not only affects my family, but this is going to affect a lot of people. So I have to have... Clarity, like, God, I need an angel to come and speak to me. But at the time, as I mentioned, we were building a home. So we were actually living in a mobile home on North Cross Drive, um, just past Outback Steakhouse. If you know where Outback Steakhouse is, it is at Carabas. Uh, just beyond that, we were staying in a mobile home while our home was being built. So 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm out walking North Cross Drive. It's still dark. And I'm talking with God about this opportunity that's before us. And I was praying much like I'm talking to you. Like, God, I, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I really have to know. I really have to hear from you. If, if you forgot, God, I said, like, I need an angel to tell us what to do. So 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm walking on this back roads, and I hear someone running behind me. Um, the gentleman who's running behind me comes up beside me, and I glance over to see who it is. And it happens to be, happens to be circumstantial, it happens to be a pastor friend who pastors the largest church in our four-square family from the state of Hawaii, who's running six o'clock, six o'clock in the morning down a back road in the middle of nowhere. And I had no idea he was anywhere in the area. I look over and I recognize, Pastor Wayne, what are you doing in this area? And he said to me, what are you doing walking down this back road? I said, hey, I live in North Carolina. You live in Hawaii. What are you doing here? And come to find out he was speaking at a conference in the area. And he was staying at Embassy Suite down at the end of the road. Um, and he walked with me for about 10 minutes. He said, you know, I know the denominations ask you to do this, and he kind of laid out the situation. He says, but I got to tell you, I, I believe that God's called you to this community, this church to be a resource pastor, and he's called you to this community for a purpose. Um, he said, it's your decision to make. I can't tell you what to do, but I'm going to be praying for you. I'd like to talk longer, but I've got a plane to catch. And he takes off running on down the road. How many of you know I, I had my answer? It was really clear at that point. Now, we would all like to have experiences like that where God sends a Wayne Cadero or God sends an angel to say, okay, this is exactly what you should do. And when it happens that way, it's wonderful. But this is what I've discovered. Most of the time, it doesn't happen that way. Most of the time, there's a process. There's a process that, that we need to embrace as we're discovering God's direction as we're discovering like what to do in the midst of an of an unknown situation in our lives. So this morning, I want to give you some guidance as to how you can gain clarity in the unknown places of your life, clarity in the decisions that you're making. Looking there to your notes this morning, 
that life brings times and seasons when we're confronted with three different scenarios, three different situations. The first is this. We have a crisis that we have no solution to. As in you've been there, I've been there. We have a crisis, we're facing something, and we have no solution. One of my close friends recently was diagnosed with cancer. Came like a... um, uh, like really like a sock in the gut. I mean, it went out of the cells, just shock as to this prognosis. And, and a- after they'd kind of gathered themselves, they made several trips back to the oncologist. And basically, um, the oncologist said, hey, here's three, three different options. Here's three different paths of treatment we could take. Now, obviously, in this situation, we've been praying for God's miraculous provision, for divine intervention, for that whole process. Well, at the same time, seeing the oncologist, my friend came to me and he says, hey, they've given me three different possibilities, three different paths of treatment, and I have to make a decision as to which path I would choose. What a crisis that we have no solution to. I think life also brings times and seasons when we're confronted with a God opportunity that's bigger than we are. It's pretty consistent, as I said last week. God brings times and seasons before us that are bigger than we are, and He invites us into those so that He can grow our faith and so that He can reveal His greatness to us in our lives through the situation. But oftentimes we're we're faced with these opportunities i call them god opportunities that's bigger than we are but how do we know if it's a god opportunity how many of you know there's a big difference between a good opportunity and a god opportunity like i'm not interested in the good opportunities what i really want is i want the god opportunity so how can i know god is this you i mean this situation before me is so much bigger than i am it's so much bigger than what i could do on my own god i really need to know is this you how can I have that kind of clarity that lets me know, yeah, this, this is God inviting me into a situation where I'll be way over my head. I think life also brings times and seasons when we're confronted with a situation that we don't know how to respond to. Like we don't know what the right thing to do. We get stuck in what I call the valley of indecision. Have you ever been stuck in the valley of indecision? Like, you know you need to make some decision, but you don't know what decision to make. You know you need to, you, you need to turn right or you need to turn left, but you don't know, like, which is the right direction. That valley of, of indecision. Well, this morning we're going to look at a great story in the Old Testament out of the history of Israel where there was a king, a king by the name of King Jehoshaphat, that faced these three situations that I, that, that I just mentioned. He, he found himself... In a crisis that he had no solution to, a God opportunity that was bigger than he was, and a situation where like, he didn't know what to do. And in the midst of that, God brings clarity, clarity of direction. He, he kind of brought to Jehoshaphat like, information so he had to know how to, how to rightly respond. So in, in Jehoshaphat's story here in Second Chronicles chapter 20, what we're going to discover is a is a process or a pattern as to how we can gain clarity in those unknown places of our lives. Now, it's not a formula. I, I'm not into formulas. I don't think if you do these three things or these, three, these four things, God's going to do this. Like we're putting God in a box. I believe God's God and God can do whatever he wants to do. He's not like tied to our formulas. However, I do believe that there's patterns 
As we look to scripture, there's patterns that we can find. It's, wow, this is how God operates. This is how God responds. So from Jehoshaphat, how can we gain clarity in the unknown places of our lives? So let me give you just a little backdrop for the story, and then we're going to jump into the text this morning. Jehoshaphat's story begins in chapter 17, Second Chronicles chapter 17. His, his father had been king, King Asa. King Asa passes the baton of leadership to King Jehoshaphat. And this is what chapter 17 tells us about, tells us about Jehoshaphat, is he was like this man of God, like he loved God. Remember, the scripture says he, his heart was like that of King David's. Now, if you read on in chapter 17, Jehoshaphat purges the land of idolatry. The nation of Israel had turned to idolatrous worship. So Jehoshaphat purges the land. He calls the people of Israel back to the worship of the one true God. As a result of that, God blesses Jehoshaphat. So he's been like a really successful, effective king. But as we come to chapter 20, he finds himself in a crisis. And here's the crisis. There's three nations, three people groups that have joined their forces and they're coming to attack King Jehoshaphat and the Israelites. They're coming basically to wipe them out. So Jehoshaphat's army is totally outnumbered. They find themselves in a situation where it seems like, wow, they have no hope. And in the midst of that, I want you to notice how Jehoshaphat responded. Chapter 20, beginning with verse 3. Listen to how the scripture reads. Alarmed. And that's his first response. Three nations coming against Jehoshaphat. What was it? He was alarmed. Notice what he did. He resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, this is his prayer. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Verse 10, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Verse 12, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. In other words, Jehoshaphat's saying, "We, we have no solution. We're outnumbered. We're overwhelmed. Notice this next line. We do not know what to do. But God, our eyes are are upon you. I think that phrase so captures oftentimes where we find ourselves. We're like Jehoshaphat in that we do not know what to do. Have you ever been in that place? God, I just don't know what to do. Pressed, stressed, overwhelmed, outnumbered. The situation seems impossible. God, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. 
But if you read on in the story, and I encourage you to read the whole of chapter 20, it's one of the great chapters in the Bible, to read on as Jehoshaphat and the Israelites seek God's counsel and direction. He gives them insight. He gives them a battle plan, a battle strategy. And here's the battle strategy. Send the choir out to lead the army. Now, how many of you, if you were going to battle and you were totally outnumbered, would send the folks out singing? Probably doesn't sound like the best plan, does it? Like you would send your bravest, strongest fighting men on the front line, right? But that's not what God says. God says, send out the choir first. And I would think, I wasn't there when it happened, but I would think the folks in the choir are thinking, hey, what's up with this, right? Uh, We don't know how to shoot an arrow. I mean, we're just good at singing. And you're going to put us on the front line? Well, as they go out singing... It's there that God fought for the army of Israel. Great victory was won. God turned the situation. He brought clarity in the place that Jehoshaphat did not want, know what to do. And he also brought his provision in the midst of an overwhelming situation. So from this story, from Jehoshaphat's story, what's the, what's the process that we can embrace when we're navigating the unknowns, what I call the unknowns of life? Five things, really quick. The first is this. Talk to God. When you're in that place where you don't know what to do, talk. turn to your neighbor and say, hey, talk to God. In other words, invite God into the situation. When Jehoshaphat gets the news of this crisis, of these three nations coming against them, notice the first thing he does. The scripture says, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. In other words, he realized they were outnumbered. He realized that without God's intervention, like they, they had no hope. And so what does he do? He inquires, he calls on God, he invites God into the situation. So when you're in that place that you don't know what to do, the first thing I encourage you to do is invite God into the situation. Now you would think as Christ followers, this is a no-brainer, right? I mean, we all love God and we're following God. And so if we come to unknown, first thing we would do is talk to God. But what I've discovered is that oftentimes believers, obviously none of you in this service, but the folks who come to the other services... They talk to everyone else before they talk to God. Now, I'm all for seeking godly counsel. I think that's biblical. I think that's healthy. I think that's right. But before you talk to others, I would encourage you to talk to God. Get God's insight. So when, when you don't know what to do, first thing you want to do is talk to God. Don't let prayer be your last response. May it be your first response. When you don't know what to do, why don't you talk to the one who knows? Past, present, future. So first thing, when you need clarity of direction, talk to God. Here's the second thing, and we find these principles just laid out right here in the story. The second thing you want to do to navigate the unknowns of life is focus on God through fasting. Look back again to verse 3. Not only did Jehoshaphat resolve to inquire of the Lord, but the verse goes on to say, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Israel. So Jehoshaphat prayed, but he also chose to humble himself before God through this discipline, the spiritual discipline of fasting so that he might gain clarity of direction, so he might be able to better hear from God. I know for my wife and I, we've made, wow, in our 
lives, we made a lot of major decisions about life, about ministry, about investments, about building, about leading the church. And every time my wife and I come to a major decision, we embrace the process of fasting so that we can better hear the voice of God. It's a means of humbling ourselves. So what is, what is fasting? Fasting is this. It's abstaining from food for a period of time that you might better hear from God. It's abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. That's what fasting is. That we might better hear from God. So what does Jehoshaphat do? He declares a fast. Now, if it was just Jehoshaphat, we could say, well, that's kind of a one-off or that's just for Jehoshaphat. But it's interesting. I would encourage you to do a study on individuals who fasted throughout the Bible. And what you'll discover is like there was a lot of people down through uh, biblical history that came to gain clarity of direction as they fasted. Matter of fact, let me just mention a few. There's Esther. Esther needed clarity concerning uh, the future for the protection of her people who were going to be annihilated. But she declared a fast. Ezra the scribe who's leading Jews back to Jerusalem from exile. He needed clarity of direction. What did he do? He declared a fast. There's the prophet Daniel. He's having like visions and dreams, and he doesn't like fully understand all that he's seeing. So what does he do? He declares a fast so that he can gain clarity of direction. Jesus, the Son of God, fasted 40 days before his three years of public ministry. I believe being empowered by the Holy Spirit, gaining clarity of direction. In the early church, Acts 13, the believers at Antioch, the scripture says, while they were praying and fasting, God brought clarity of direction concerning sending out the first missionaries, Barnabas and Paul. But so fasting is a means that we better position ourselves to hear from God. It's like we slow everything down so that we can better hear and sense that of God's lean. So if you need clarity of direction, I would encourage you to do what Jehoshaphat did. What did he do? He declared, he declared a fast so that they might hear from the Lord to know what to do in that place of the unknown. Well, Pastor Trish, come and talk with us about the next two. Hey, everybody. Good morning. All right. I got my VeggieTales Bible. I have my Play-Doh. And yes, I'm going to use it in just a second. And to kick off in real Kidman fashion, I need a volunteer. All of you, awesome. You're all my volunteers right now. This is what we're going to do, is we're going to get vocal. So on the count of three, because we work on the count of threes in kids' ministry, when I say on the count of three, one, two, three, I want you guys to make as much noise as you possibly can. You can scream out the ABCs. You can just say, ah, you can do whatever you want. And then when I do this, that means complete silence. All right, are you guys ready? Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this, and I'm going to see if anybody can hear me when all of you, which, which you shouldn't, because you guys are all going to be so loud this morning. All right, one, two, three. Oh, our God did not drive out the inhabitants of this land before our people, Israel. You guys did pretty good, but I think the kids are better at like that. They stop right when the, <laughs> we'll practice later. We'll practice later. So with all these voices going on in our world, it's hard to hear the one true voice, isn't it? King Jehoshaphat, he talked to God, he fasted, and then he prayed God's promises. 
How do we know God's promises if we're not in his word? I love that he paused. Now, when I was looking up how many promises are in the Bible, we have very varied opinions about this. Some say 3,000. Some say 8,000. And Bible Gateway says 5,467 promises in the Bible. What I know today is that there are a lot of promises in God's word. (laughs) He has a lot for us. Good promises for us. And here's what I know. That I don't know them, that you don't know them unless we're in our word. Unless we're declaring daily in our lives. So how many of you have watched that movie War Room? Anybody watch the movie War Room? All right, you put your hands down. How many of you were in the movie War Room? Anybody in here? We got some over here. Awesome. Yes, I see you. So cool. I wish I was in that movie. That's so awesome. So there's a scene, super powerful scene, where the mom is just sick and tired of letting Satan in her home. And she starts, she goes to her home. It might seem a little crazy, but she goes to her home and she is kicking Satan out of her house. She says, you will be gone out of this house. You have no room here. And she's declaring God's promises and truth that there's going to be peace and love and joy. And that's what King Jehoshaphat does. Yes, he was alarmed, but he talked to God. He fasted, and this is what he did. He started praying God's promises, not as a reminder to God. God, remember you said this. Um, Hello? You said no. He wasn't reminding God. He was reminding himself. He was reminding the people assembled before him, saying, Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Woo! He says, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in the presence before this temple that bears your name. We will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and you will save us. How did he know that? Because he was in the word. He was talking with God. He knew his promises. We can know that when we're feeling all alone, that we are not because God's word says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life, and it is good in my name. And we know his promises, and we walk in them. We can't listen to all the other voices. We can't listen to all the other things. We have to get into his word and pray his promises boldly and courageously, declare his word over our lives. Say, oh, nope, that's not me today. I'm not going to feel alone. I'm not going to cave into that because I know my God is with me all the time. Another thing he did, another thing that happened, is says, do not be afraid. A man in the assembly, it mentions his name one time in verse 15. And he speaks up and he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, which I think he was pretty brave, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. I know you see three armies and we're just one and there's a lot more of them. But, you know, don't be afraid. When you're afraid, I think it's this, isn't this the silliest thing for someone to come next to you and say, hey, don't be afraid. Well, thanks for that, genius. <laughs> if, I, if I would have thought of that, I wouldn't be afraid right now. It seems silly for someone just to say, hey, don't be afraid. But yet here we have it again and again and again. God reminds us, hey, do not be afraid because there's a promise at the end of that. For I am with you. We know both. 
Now, if you are, um, if we're Facebook friends, you know that I'm pretty adventurous. I love hiking and all those things. And one thing I like to do is go on hikes and leave my house at 1.30 in the morning so I can be on a mountaintop at sunrise time. <laughs> so one of my first journeys out there, uh, we get to the parking lot, and you, you know, you can't see anything. It's pitch black out there. And um, I had never been on the trail before. And so here we are. And then I said, nope, mm -mm, ain't making that decision today. We make an average of 1,500 choices a day. And I said, I don't know if I want to make the choice to go in there today. I know we drove all the way out here. We woke up this early. Um, but I knew the payoff would be good. So I decided that we needed to pray first. So we're jumping up and down. And not because I had to go to the bathroom, but because I was terrified. Jumping up and down. And we start praising and worshiping God and we pray God you'll never leave us and it seems silly now but it was not silly then I was not laughing I was like dear God help us through now you may not have three armies facing you and you may not have to go a mile and a half up a mountain in the dark which it was worth it by the way sunrises are amazing on the top of mountains you may not have to do that, but you, what you may be facing is a job change. God, I don't know whether to take this job. Is it from you or is it just from me? I don't know. God, there's this really awesome person in my life, and I don't know whether this relationship is from you. God, how will I know? We're facing big stuff. But here's what I know. And yes, we'll get to the Play-Doh. I love Play-Doh. It's one of my favorite fidget toys. I don't sit well. I'm like the kids. So one of my things is Play-Doh because those, the fidget spinners and the little cube, they click. This is nice. And it's calming. I love it. And one of the best things about Play-Doh is that you can make anything you want. Now, if I were super talented and skilled in the design of Play-Doh, I would make you a person. But I'm not. <laughs> I can't do that. But what I can make, so I can make a little ball, nice and round. Here we go. There's that one. And I'll make another big one. So I'm married. been married for five years. My husband is such a cutie. And he's watching. Hi, honey. Um, so sometimes we're faced with a decision. And the decision to me can look like one thing. And then to him, it can look completely different. Say, okay, honey, we have this much money in our bank account, yet we have all of these things we got to pay for. This, this problem is starting to look bigger and bigger by the minute before it's all I can see right in front of my face. But to him, seeing the same problem, he doesn't see it this size. He sees it this size. If we look at how big our God is instead of how big the problem is, we will see that it's... The size, so much smaller than what we, aim it up, what we think it up to be. Do not stand paralyzed in your fear. King Jehoshaphat was alarmed, but he did not stay there. He talked to God. He fasted. He, um, he prayed God's promises. And he chose to say, I will not fear because God is with me. We need to take courage. We need to stand up and say, I'm not going to let Fear paralyzed me into this one spot. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move forward in what God has called me to do in whatever decision that you are facing today. And Pastor Farrell is going to wrap us up with this last thing that we can do to hear is God's voice. Thank you, Pastor Trish. So we want to pray God's promises 
want to move beyond fear. Here's the last thing. When you're in that place where you don't know what to do, move forward in worship. Listen, worship is always the right answer. It's always the right listen, you can't listen, you can't go wrong with worship. If you're in a place in your life where you're blessed and things are good, then give thanks to the God who's blessed you with what you have. Worship. If you're in a place where you're stressed and overwhelmed, worship. And find peace in that place. Your place where you're depressed, what's the right thing to do? Worship. And watch how perspective begins to change. If you're in a place where you don't know what to do, worship. And in that, what you discover, clarity of direction. You experience that of, of, of God's provision. And Jehoshaphat's dilemma, he followed God's direction and they, and they sent the choir out to the front line of the battle. And I love, I love this part of the story. Verse 21 and 22 is on the screen. Follow along as I read this. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Notice what happened. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. When did God begin to work on their behalf? Let's say it together. As they began to sing and praise. It was that that brought the, the miracle. It was that that opened the way for God to work. It was that, that that brought that of God's provision in His direction in the midst of the unknown. As they went out worshiping, declaring the greatness of God, they experienced God's greatness. And they had a great victory, not because of their military might. Listen, don't miss this. Not because of their ability to go out and do warfare. They experienced great victory because they went out and worship. Worship was, was the key. Folks, that's why, that's why private worship and corporate worship is so significant. It's so huge in your life to declare the greatness of God. And some of you here this morning say, hey, well, Pastor, I, I don't sing very well. I know I hear you. <laughs> Just kidding. And I don't sing very well, so I, I can't do that. Listen, Psalm 66, verse 1. This is the verse I claim all the time. Psalm 66, verse 1 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. What do I do? I make a noise. But I determined some years back, listen, I'm not going to let the rocks out praise me. I'm going to bring my best every Sunday, and I'm going to declare the greatness of God. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring a sacrifice, and some of you, when you hear me singing, you sound, it sounds like you're sacrificing something, right? I say, I don't care. Listen, I'm not singing for you. It's not about you. It's about my worship response to a God who saved me and redeemed me and rescued me and set me up for greatness. That's why I worship the goodness of God in my life, for my life. Listen, worship is critical. Worship is key. When you don't know what to do, let me tell you what's always right to do. Worship. Worship. Declare the greatness of God. And watch how God brings clarity of direction and provision as you worship. Here's the challenge. 
Here's the challenge, and again, it's obviously not folks that come to 11 o'clock, it's the 8 o'clock folks, but here's the challenge for them, is that oftentimes when they get to places that they don't know what to do, they whine instead of worship. They whine about where they're at and the experience they're having and how could this happen, rather than worshiping their way through it. Listen, I'm telling you, worship will not only change your situation, but it will change you in the process, opening the way for God to bring His greatness in your life. I love the way this story ends. And again, I encourage you to read the whole chapter. But God fights for Israel. I mean, they experienced this battle. The Scripture says that it took them three days to gather all the plunder, all the goods. So not only did he give them victory, he blessed them in the midst of it. And the scripture says this, that Jehoshaphat named that valley that was a place of trouble. He actually named it the Valley of Baraka, which means the Valley of Blessing. Wow. God took a place of trouble and he turned it to a place of blessing. Listen, some of you need to hear that this morning. You've been looking at your situation and saying, wow, how can we ever get out of this? This is such a place of trouble. Listen, God has the ability to take your valley of trouble and turn it into a valley of blessing. Listen, that's the God we serve. What as we declare His greatness in the midst of our situation, as we open our lives to the wonder of who He is, to take that valley and to turn it to that place of blessing. So if you're in a place where you don't know what to do, again, I'm not giving you a formula. I'm giving you a pattern that we see consistently throughout the Scripture. Talk to God. Focus on God through fasting. Pray the promises of God. Don't allow fear to hold you captive and move forward in worship. The next time you find yourself in that place where you don't know what to do, I encourage you to pull this little simple outline out and put it to work. And you're going to be amazed how God can take, again, that valley of trouble and turn it into a place of blessing. Well, Lord, we thank you that you're good and that you're working for our good. Now, Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to see. Sometimes it's, it's hard for us to understand. And sometimes, God, we find ourselves like Jehoshaphat. Where we're like, we don't know what to do. Do we turn right? Do we turn left? Do we stay or do we go? Do we engage or do we disengage? Lord, I thank you that not only do you know But Lord, as we seek you, I thank you that you bring revelation for our lives. It may not happen exactly when we want it. Lord, maybe there's a process that you're growing us through. But God, I thank you that you're active and present. Even when we can't see the working of your hand, you're active, present, working for our good. And God, I thank you that you take places of trouble, valleys of trouble, and you turn them into valleys of blessing. Oh God, you're so good. With every head bowed and eye closed, possibly today, you're in what I would call a valley of indecision. You're stuck in a place of indecision. Or you're in a place where like you don't know what to do. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray with you and pray for you before we conclude. You're in a place where you, you, you just don't know what to do and, and you need clarity of direction. Would you raise your hand really quick? On the main floor, yeah, a lot of folks in the balcony. 
Lord, I, I pray today for my friends who have hands lifted. God, I don't know that valley that they're in, but God, what I do know is that you're faithful. And Lord, you said as we would trust in you with all of our hearts and lean not to our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge you. God, you said you would direct our path. So Lord, I pray for my friends today. Holy Spirit, help them take, Lord, this this pattern, this process that we see here in Second Chronicles 20 and to put it to work in their lives. And God, I just thank you for how you're going to bring revelation. Lord, it's probably not you're going to give them the whole plan. But Lord, what, what I believe is you're going to give them the next step. And as they take that step, you're going to give them the next step. Because Lord, what I know is you're growing us through the process as you're bringing your greatness to work in our lives. And so, Lord, I I just thank you for how, again, you're going to bring revelation and direction for these individuals as they set their hearts to seek you, as they talk to you, as they focus on you through fasting, as they pray your promises, as they move forward in worship. Lord, again, I I thank you that that you're faithful. Lord, for individuals who would be in that valley of trouble, God, I just celebrate with them, God, that as they move forward in worship, that you're going to take that valley of trouble and you're going to turn it into a baraka, a place of blessing. But we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.